Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. to the Voyages, the Star Trek podcast about the Kirks and their crews from the original series and the Kelvin films. To keep up to date on all the news and updates from the Voyages, be sure to follow the Voyages pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Also subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This week we're going to be doing a deep dive on the character of Dr. Leonard H. McCoy. So we have a very special guest with us today. Author, host, archivist, producer, voiceovers, actors. I think he does almost everything. Dr. Trek himself, Larry Nemechek. How are you doing today, Larry? I'm, I'm good, Mike. I have to watch how I list all. That's why I started saying Dr. Trek, because when you say all that, it sounds like master of none, you know. <laughs> Jack of all, master of none. <laughs> no, I'm doing good. Thanks, you guys. Uh, good. Congratulations on the show here getting going. And, uh, Thank, you. Thank you. Any any time to talk about our subject matter today is is fine with me. <laughs> yeah, um, we are we are missing uh, Allie Black today. Uh, she oh. had a, a bit of a family issue that she had to take care of because um, the way that we were breaking our, our character studies down was I would cover the original series and, and the movies. Mike would cover Star Trek Continues. And Allie would do the Kelvin. So Oh, okay. So I'll I'm I'm gonna slide into Allie's position if that's all right with you, Larry. Well, I guess I'll have to put up with it. <laughs> okay. So you actually got to um play McCoy for two episodes of Star Trek Continues. How'd that come to be? Oh, well it had to come how it come about. Well, um somehow the secret leaked out that I was a huge McCoy fan. Um, was my, you know, but when you grow up with the original series when you're a kid and that's, there is no bloody A, B, C, or D, mm-hmm. it's just them. Um, that was, and I, it, kind of an underdog thing because Kirk and Spock always got the attention. And, and when I was, when I was little and, and just seeing like posters and books and you'd see Kirk, Spock, Kirk, Spock, Kirk, Spock, Kirk and Spock, Enterprise. Kirk. I'm like, where's Scotty? Where's McCoy? Where's the, you know, and, um, and I even more so McCoy, just because I liked and I loved DeForest Kelly. And and um, just as you were a kid watching over and over, I just appreciated how he never got he was the underdog. But he as far as attention goes, but he would be the one to bring everybody down to earth. I was mm-hmm. it was only I mean, like I you could do the crotchety McCoy stuff. But I always thought of McCoy as the some he somewhere between having all the good punchlines or the good, you know, the good punchlines to scenes, especially in the movies. Or just the one that brought everybody down to earth. And I guess I got that from a couple of parodies that were out there. When I was little, I listened to Dr. Demento and mm-hmm. and uh and there was one of the parodies, Captain Jerk or whatever he was named, would say, Oh, come on, Bones, we're out here and this is where we are. I mean, it was like a heroic, you know, starry-eyed speech at the end, and McCoy is like, you know, oh shut up, Jim, we're all blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, that's that's McCoy bringing in real life McCoy in the real life of the show McCoy bringing everybody down to earth. 
And, you know, it's only been, it's been the last five, 10 years. And I see people think, you know, McCoy's a jerk. He's like, he's a, he is a curmudgeon, but it's mm-hmm. not like he, he growls and scowls all the time. And I don't, I mean, it's like, oh, that never, I never, that's not my first take on McCoy, but I guess that's all the Kirk and Spock lovers that <laughs> yeah. are saying that, you know, but, but or, and or was, the, the, the bash that's coming in, you know, not really growing up with, with the original series. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which has been a whole interesting side thing the last year or two that I've kind of gotten fascinated by just, just keep trying to keep up with the generations going by and the, you know, where everybody's coming from and, and the, whatever you're doing, the thing I try to preach is the one thing that the one big thing that stuck with me from grad school, which is always check your assumptions. If you walk in a room and you assume everybody thinks exactly the way you do, which I mean, you know, intellectually is not true, but sometimes we go at it, even when we're in a, in a, like we're in a Facebook group and it's all about left-handed command ensigns from the monster maroon era or something. I mean, you know, it's like whatever the tiny niche is, the minute anybody starts talking or writing, you'll eventually get into things where people aren't, I don't mean knock down, drag out 2020 stupid toxic social fights i mean just differences of opinion and i mean sometimes it gets there sadly but it shouldn't but i mean just you know you're you're total we're not all clones of each other so you know anyway just like just don't assume everybody and what's almost crazy is as the years go by those really get suspect like all the people that said oh ds9's too hard to keep up with you know i couldn't keep up with it i missed one show and i lost the whole plot of the show which is silly now, now that we see what serialized really looks like. But back in the 90s, exactly, people would say, oh, I had to stop watching. I missed two shows and I was totally lost. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, that look old now. But that's what I mean about, you know, things. And McCoy is one that's been a little different. There's been some different takes on him. It's kind of interesting. But over the years, I was always onto him as like the real, the realist, you know, and the one who could pop the bubbles when everybody else got a little high and mighty. That's yeah, he's really like the, he's the heart of the show. He brings, really brings the audience into it. He's just a normal guy at the end of the day, it seems like, right? Yeah, even when he's standing there with all that high-tech gear, well, that high-tech 60s gear, <laughs> which yes. became high-tech 80s gear. Um, but even when he's standing there in the middle of that, he's still the, uh, wait a minute, you know what this means? You know. <laughs> Who do you suppose his hands are the right ones? Uh, yeah, yeah. My God, do you realize what this means? Uh, you know, uh, one of our myths says that the world was created in seven days. Now we can wipe it out in one. You know, that's that token McCoy speech in Wrath of Khan when they first watched the Genesis tape. It's kind of like the distillation of McCoy, that end of McCoy's character all in one, in one shot. So yeah, it was just kind of a gradual thing. Like when I was a kid, you're watching the shows and enjoying them and I say the shows. It's not like anybody coming to any modern Star Trek since since 87. Um, you know, it's here's the press kit and here's all the promo and you know, and it's done like a thing where like any show is. But when you Star Trek's unless you were there in 66 and you were and some people were, and I've talked to a lot of them, watching the pr- fall preview commercials, that one that you know you can see it on YouTube now. From the vast depths of space, you know, thing. And the little trumpet or whatever it is there. And that one piece of artwork, and that's all they use. Like, (laughs) they just focus on different parts of it. Um, But since then, I mean, since then, we've had, you know, everybody gets introduced in a standard way. 
unless you come to reruns or DVD sets later on, like, like I, but, you know, watching after school, the way kids did for 20, 30 years. And that was your intro to Star Trek. Yeah. Have a grand intro. So you just watched every day and picked it up after a while. And after a while you said, you were like, Oh my God, look, I mean, I remember I had a, I had a fight with two of my friends and we finally settled it when uh, the, I got the making of paperback. I'm like, I told you the patches match the shirt color. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I mean, but those kinds of things, you know, it's like we don't we're we have some reveals now, like just who is Tal Guy on Lower Decks. I don't know if anybody's in it, but, but there's some things that are going to be unspooled. But anyway, but that was the thing where where that was anyway, I'm, I'm rambling. But anyway, that was the joy of coming in without you know like a press kit to start you off that you just picked it up day to day. And and uh, anyway, and, and just after a while, McCoy was the one that after you'd been around once or twice. McCoy was the one that you really got. You were like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, 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 wait. He saved the day in that one and never gets any credit for it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like in Friday's Child. Uh, yes. Yes. Which is my underground favorite. My other, like, I have, you know, like, I have my two co favorites that I've always had from the original series. And not to say I never go back and look at with fresh eyes, but just Doomsday, Doomsday, Doomsday Machine and Journey to Babel. And and then yes, sitting on the edge and a muck time and blah blah blah, but um, but Friday's Child is the one that I always loved, partly because it was a McCoy show, and partly because he's the they actually showed like a pre like, uh, not away team but a landing party, you know they showed a pre briefing before the mission, and it's McCoy that's leading it, you know, and then just the comic now. And I'm sorry, I'm I'm rambling through a bunch of stuff here, but there's just talk about the changing of culture and time and eyeballs and the way different. I hate to say generation. I hate putting people into boxes, but we're kind of there just because of what the world has done to us. Yeah. Uh, but the whole thing where he's with Elian and uh, Julie Newmar. Oh, Julie Newmar. Julie. <laughs> Newmar, can I say oh, yeah. that? <laughs> uh, that's another reason I love Friday's Child. Uh, I can say Julie Effin Newmar, and it gets the same point across. But yeah. Um, that's another reason to love Friday's Child. But I know there are a lot of people that have, I mean, it has its goofy moments. Like they live with these guys, these Capellans on a desert planet and they run around in carpets. It's like, that seems <laughs> rather hot. <laughs> but the whole, the whole scene, it's, it's comedic, but it's also very character driven where he's trying to, before she has the baby and they're off on the run and, and the two, and McCoy and her are sitting down and he's trying to do a, you know, they have the whole thing about she slaps him he goes right back to it. He's, he's, he's trying to do an exam. She slaps him again and he slaps her and it's, and she's shocked and it's funny. And then she, and he wins her over that way. And he's, you know, she right. says, none of the men in my village have such a touch. And he's like, well, I'm a doctor. What do you expect? Or, or something, you know? Yeah. And I've heard, I've seen lately in the middle of a whole lot of, not so much second looks at the original series, but younger viewers seeing the original series for the first time and some of them just saying i can't get it's so 60s I, I really want to but i can't watch it which is interesting i want to go well do you not watch casablanca do you not watch <laughs> you know uh High wizard Moon? of oz you know do you not watch <laughs> wizard of oz yeah, i'm like do you watch anything from before 2000 <laughs> you know or 1990 and i don't mean that in a snarky way i mean like maybe when you're a little older and you've got you know you've had you've had a car wreck or you've had kids or you've you know gotten had a spouse or whatever a partner that you had to share a place with more than a roommate that moves out in a year i mean i'm you know it's like maybe a little more a little more rust on the 
on the body and and some of this may not look so alien to you but that scene with McCoy and Alien, people, I can't believe he's McCoy is an abusive uh, doctor. And I'm like, it's like, no, that's it's what we call cartoon. It's like it's slapstick. It's cartoon violence, if that's the way you want to look at it. But she's he's doing his job and she started it. And she's from the warrior culture. Yeah, I guess I put it in the context of the warrior culture where they respect that kind of thing. Exactly. That's how he gained her respect. He's not just a dumb doctor. He can get his he he's gave the briefing on this culture. Yeah, because he, he was on the landing party when during first contact. He totally I mean, this, that's why it's really funny. But after that came up again, I immediately went back to I think it was the second lower decks where where uh, Mariner jumps in the shuttle and she sees the old uh, the old Klingon general and goes up and attacks him to say hello. And I'm like, thank you. That's what I. <laughs> yeah it's comedic and heightened you know exaggerated but that's the idea anyway it's just it's it's i'm i'm not a i'm not a pollyanna i'm not stuck on anything i nobody is on too high a pedestal and i'm certainly i i'm always preaching you know keep your blinders off try to keep up with you know always be open to what's a new outlook or something but when i saw people going then that rat hole i went look i don't want to be i don't want to be a, a you know a me too <laughs> antagonist here or anything at all, but, uh, or okay, boomer or anything, but it's like, this was a comic. This is a bugs and Daffy scene, but it's mm-hmm. also very grounded in the reality of the moment. And the, you know, if all you can see is his hand hitting her face, did you miss her face, her hand on his face twice before that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and a bait, an unborn child at stake. I mean, anyway, I, it's, but that's the kind of thing, that's the kind of discussions that people are having now about a lot of things. But I, yeah, I, I mean, part of my trigger is to go, how can you find anything bad about McCoy <laughs> or, De- or DeForest Kelly, the nicest guy in the world, you know, next to maybe Mike Westmore. But I mean, um, I'm just kidding. But, you know, I, I, of all that cast, I remember even when I was little thinking, wow, if all of these Hollywood celebrities, you know, as a kid in Oklahoma, it's like the one that I think I would like to have who would you like to have dinner with or have an evening with? And it was, you know, it was like D I just thought he would be the most yeah. easy to sit around it as a real person. Um, which kind of fed, which kind of fat McCoy attraction to both ways. Yeah. It's funny when I, I sit down and I've got my girls watching Star Trek now and they're eight and six and we're doing a Voyager watch is the first one because uh, of Janeway and all that. But we've watched, I get them to watch the original series and they never comment on the effects or anything. They don't see any of that. They just see the story and the person they most mm-hmm. gravitate to is McCoy because he is very real. Like they always, oh. they like when he kind of pokes at Spock, they find those comments funny and how he kind of keeps mm-hmm. Kirk real and grounded. So they pick up on that with him, which I thought was really yeah. interesting. You're, you have both daughters, both daughters, you said? I've got a son that's four, yeah. but he's not watching much Star Trek yet. He'll get there. He'll get there. He'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to say smart girls. No, I, I saw someone, I mean, some of the, and I always talk about, you know, the pendulum swings of, of, well, of everything, but in Star Trek, it's funny how things go, seem, they go in eight or 10 year cycles and one minute next generation was at its peak. And, and the original series was like old, old toast. And then five years go by and the T TNG is so eighties with carpet on the walls and a therapist on the bridge, which is a great <laughs> idea, which it should have been with the, yeah. with the suicide rate so- soaring among veterans and soldiers, you know, like, Oh gosh, it's so silly to have a therapist on the bridge. 
but um this is like this is the soup where the kelvin movies were born out of but you know it got the point where oh that's so dated in 80s but the the original series is retro cool that was the buzzword for a while oh the 60s it's retro cool it's like james bond and star trek and other and that's where they made oh we've got to resurrect this dying franchise let's go back to the roots and you know that's 2006 thinking and it you know it wasn't dying it was just needing something fresh but it was not dying but anyway so now we're back to the pendulum swung back to oh the original series is so problematic and kirk is so you know a, a sexist womanizer and it's like part you know, like three-fourths of the kirk and women thing now i sound like my friend vic here def- <laughs> three-fourths of that is kirk being strategic in the way he thinks it's it's kind of a 60s simplified storytelling yes but yeah. it's it's like sorry it's all business lady <laughs> you know it's i have a mission i have a ship to protect and this is all just business i'm knocking the bad you know it's a fist fight with the guy it's kissing the girl whatever it is it's accomplishing the mission and it doesn't get a little it gets a little more nuanced later but um anyway this this whole thing about looking at the original series um not just in cultural terms but also like the way it's produced and my answer to that is, aside from, I have a couple of shows, I'll say like, go watch City on the Edge of Forever, which aside from the scene on the bridge in the beginning, you know, nothing is on the ship and it's all natural. And I think it's pretty, yeah. it, in fact, my fav, one of my two favorite McCoy acting moments is in that episode. And no, it's not where he's screaming. It's when he's on the cot with, it's on, on the cot with, um, with uh, Edith at the end. All right. You know, the whole, that's all right, my dear, that's all right, because I don't believe in you either. That, that scene. Yeah. But I say, I say show Seat on the Edge of Forever to people and, and see if it's like, ooh, it's reeking of 60s production, you know, and the, the speeches and the speeches are, you know, Shatner's speeches are down and everybody, everybody is, is de-heightened. And it's very naturalistic. But my other thing, thing I say there is, and now that we have YouTube and we have everything, you know, all the retro channels, is like, go watch other one-hour dramas from 66 and 67 and 68 if you want to see. Actual 60s <laughs> Actually production. 60s, but yeah. <laughs> and not to, you know, of course there's things. And, the, you know, I cringe at the third season all the time versus the first two. So it's not like in the family I can't critique, you know, the original series. But anyway, anyway, that's... um. That's my answer to that. But I never shut those people down because I totally get it. You know, I, I have a lot of things that I love. My Will, my Will Rogers, my hero, but the first few of his soundy movies when they had sound were they're they're cringy, not because of him, but because of the way they were just basically like filming stage plays. They'd have a set. One scene would be in a living room and it was like the camera would be set up and they would walk around just like you were filming a stage with a static yeah. camera. And so it's hard, to, but you have to you have to get past that to actually listen to watch kind of the story and watch the performances. But it can be hard to get. I mean, I totally get it. And watching early TV is like, uh, you know, a little cringy sometimes, but you have to get past that to see. And it's mm-hmm. yeah. anyway, anyway, there's a reason classics are classics, because we think, oh, that's representative of the time or like the 70s classics, you know. And you go, no, there was like a whole lot of dreck that fell away that you're not even thinking. Yeah. It's going to be a trivia, a really bad trivia question someday, <laughs> you know, because it, it was a forgettable show. Be, be the, uh, the, the the final answer on, on uh, Jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
But yeah, kind of kind of going back to the to the third season, we actually just uh, recorded a a commentary or our commentary for uh, Spock's brain. Oh, okay, that was fun. And yeah, and and one of the things that I brought up, you know, had the third season not started with Spock's brain and ended with uh, Turnabout Intruder, I th- they they did two two different ones. I think it would have been regarded a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean. Th- the whole modern concept of a finale, so many shows just did get canceled and nobody thought, <clears throat> again, it was a time when you watched a show, you maybe got a rerun and you cursed it when you, when you got the rerun. And I think the contracts, all the act, you know, the SAG and DJ, the director's contracts, all you got paid for the first run and then you got paid a little bit for a rerun. And maybe by the time of Star Trek, they were paying for two reruns, although there was no, it's like just on the off chance we had another I Love Lucy <laughs> and somebody yeah. somebody in the future might want to watch this once or twice. You know, but the whole concept of of reruns and just, you know, repeated and, and you know, legacy residuals was just like not a thing. And that's why the that's why, you know, Star Trek was if not the one, at least one of the two or three that the 70s, you know, when you had cable come in and, and everything just multiplied and they had all those holes to fill and local state, you know, UHF stations were coming in too. And um, you had all those slots to fill and Star Trek pioneers, this whole syndication bonanza where they're making tons of the syndicators or the studios making tons of money. And while they're, you know, suddenly Gene and all the cast, they're like demigods and they're still having to figure out how to pay their mortgage. I mean, you know, yeah, it's hard to go be a hero on the weekend and come home and worry about, you've got to go do the margarine commercial so you can pay your bills or whatever, like, you know, or do, do, Big Bad Mama or Kingdom of the Spiders or something, Shatner's case. So that whole thing, but that's when that's when actors and et cetera weren't getting paid for all of that. And then finally they got, hey, you guys are making a mint off these reruns and we got paid you know, twice. So let's, and now it's much more fair that way. But every time there's a new tech revolution, they have to, every time there's a major writers or actors strike, it's because we've had a new plateau and what's, now what's the thing that wasn't included in the last contract? And it's, you know, it's turning over every 10 years now, whatever the new thing. Soon it'll be the Pink Ray ZK5000 format, you know, in a hall form. And they'll be arguing over how to pay that back. Yeah, and you so. can really see how it's affected Trek in each generation and iteration, how things mm-hmm. were set up at the time, like you were talking about Deep Space Nine being serialized. But compared to what we get now, it's it's episodic. <laughs> There's barely serialization in there. Yeah. And just all the, the streaming services we have now with reruns over and over and over, and you can binge an entire season all together. You can see how they set up like Discovery, where it's you really need to you need to watch it all together. Doing it week by week, mm. you don't get the the full effect of it. Whereas the old shows, you could just go and watch one a week, and you wouldn't need to know what happened before. Well, even after syndication became a thing. Um, they you know then that drove the model and on network it was just we we want people to be able to tune in and miss the show and not worry about it because it's like why if you like people complained about ds9 which was silly but it happened with ds9 because it was scattered it it got the direct you know it was syndicated like next gen but next gen got all the prime syndicated spots and so ds9 is on the secondary uhf channel in the market or it's on the it's on the station that has the hockey you know, the NHL team or whatever. Yeah, like, like, like in Chicago, it was on WGN. And if the Cubs game went into extra innings, DS9 got bumped. Yeah. Or or even 
bump big time to where it's they they yank it and it's two or three in the morning. I mean, some of them would just not even try. They'd keep they'd recap and fill the half hour or whatever, and they'd just throw it. And that's what it was very you know disjointed. And it's one thing for next gen to be on a different night every city, different time and night, you know. But for DS9, when it was, it didn't start off that way. But yeah, as it got a little more semi-serialized and the art, you know, in next gen, they had started having running arcs. I mean, there were very few arcs in um, in the original series. I mean, like long, even long term. Um, I'm sitting here now. I've never really thought of it that way. But even, but at least, you know, but next generation had Worf is now discommendated. And so that's yes. the, that's the thing that gets mentioned occasionally. And, you know, Jordy has his girlfriend. It was kind of a running joke, but, you know, and, and uh, Data is thinking about Sung and his creator. And then at the end, it's, you know, the emotions chip was a thing at the end. But anyway, um, Picard and kids. <laughs> yeah. Which is has continued into Star Trek Picard. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. So anyway, but they were playing with that, and then increasingly, even when it wasn't a serialized show, you had run, long running arcs that gradually evolved you know, over time. But uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we're wandering. I feel like I've totally <laughs> blown up you guys. Oh, that, that, <laughs> that's quite all right. Um, I I do have. I do have a question though. Do you know exactly what McCoy's middle name is? It's Horatio. We've only heard H. Horatio. Oh, here's okay. the, so here's a story. So um, in the great late seventies, when I was first getting into like stepping up, ooh, I just dated myself there. But anyway, the first wave, you know, the 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 tech manual, Bejo's concordance, the medical reference, the first great way, the blueprints, the first wave of cool out of the box fan kids stuff that people were doing that was so awesome and people were you know the making of star trek book and star trek lives and all the non-fiction pieces that were awesome they were a combination of like the b joe's concordance which was like the, the original series encyclopedia in from modern times uh hey guys it's memory alpha on paper for one <laughs> series <laughs> it was where memory alpha came from but um you know, you had the you had the the behind the scenesers that talked about the real production, or they collated show facts. But then you had all the gap filling uh, stuff, like the tech manual and the blueprints and the medical reference. And uh, and along the way, so Jeff Mandel, who a lot of people know, graphics, whatever, was was a pioneer here too, and he had a zine called uh, the Starfleet Handbook, and he was doing gap filling, which was my first instance. When I got my tech manual, the first thing I thought was after you went through it two or three times, and said, "Look, see, the patches do match <laughs> the uniform color." Um, it was like, wait, what about all these pages that are like in the front? Here's this contents, and there's like the pages aren't here. Like, wh wh where's the page for deflectors? Where's the page? For I mean, you know, go down the list. All this medical stuff that's not here. So my first instinct was like, I, and they had blank pages in the back, which was great. Like I was getting blank pages and making copies and like doing my own thing and trying to draw diagrams and put stuff in, like fill the gaps, fill the gap. But um, one of the things, that's what Jeff was doing with his zine, Starfleet Handbook, but he started off with all these bios, and it was after the motion picture, so he had updates. But he had, he had full names for everybody. So Spock, he has Zixman of Fritzwild, which was Dorothy's, Dorothy Fontana's like jokey name she came up with for a fan who said, what's Spock's other name? 
And she just says, she just like puts some stuff on paper. And then for 10, 15, 20 years, it was like, look, Dorothy Fontana says this is Fox <laughs> Internet. Um, I mean, there was that. And then, you know, like uh, the kind of thing of, well, let's give him a birthday. Let's just use the actor's birthday for that, for that, unless it's some, said somewhere. And anyway, so I remember getting that the first time and seeing, and fandom had come up with some names for Sulu and Uhura. Uh, Hikaru came out of that, but I saw most people were, were saying uh, Upenda, which was the Swahili word for, okay, Uhura is freedom. Uh, Upenda might be peace. It was some other Swahili word. And then somewhere along the way, somebody else came up with Nyota, which was star. Yeah. But it, when I first came to this, people were retconning names, and one of the the going thing was Upenda. And, uh, oh, this no, this had Itaka for Sulu, which was different than what they came up with for the six. And um, Scotty was, uh, it's Montgomery Scott. Uh, I think it was Montgomery James Scott. They just pulled James from it. But the McCoy was, um, was uh, uh, um, Leonard Horatio McCoy. And I'm like, who came up with Horatio? That's weird. That's interesting. And I went, okay, I get it. This is, a, and meanwhile, the guy that did, um, he had a nonfiction contract with Pocket, William Rotzler. He also had a secondary one who uh, did a, a main book, but he, uh, the making of, but he also did one called an interviews book. And, uh, oh no, he did, a, he did an interviews book. He also did a biographies, which is all fictional. And he just came up with stuff to, he was a regular writer that was quasi a Trek fan, not a hardcore. And he just came up with stuff to fill his book up. Like he just pulled names and dates and things out of his butt, right? To fill it up. Used all his, his you know, friends and kids and cousins' names for all these. Anyway, and his name, he came up with um, Leonard. Oh, I should look it up now. Anyway, some other routine mundane, like Robert or Michael or something. Really routine. And I was like, well, blah. That sounds horrible. And right after this, so within a couple of years, here comes Star Trek Three, And what does he say? McCoy, Leonard H. Leonard I was H. like, aha, aha. Son of David. Yes, son of David. Yes, which was cool. That's fine. But I was like, aha. And then it's like, but why did he say H and not just say Horatio? Like that always... I always wanted to. So anyway, the the one of the first times I got to go to a national con and finally see D, which was a saga in itself. I mean, it started with the Con of Wrath, my document, the Wrath of, yeah, the Con of Wrath. But even other channels after that, chapters after that, and I actually got to do a big, you know, room Q and A, and I said, "What does H stand for?" I'll never forget this. I don't have it on tape. I don't have, you know, much less video. But and he's going through questions and some, you know, so in. Friday's child when you I mean those you know um yeah Mr. Kelly when you did you know those I just stood up and said what does the H stand for and D goes Horatio and he just kind of yelled it like well that was an easy <laughs> next you know and I was like yes yes there we go and if he says that see it but all that told me that they were very much aware and Har Bennett was very big in the especially the early days about leaning on fans and fandom uh, Terry Meyer that used to do the Interstat letter comment zine. You know, this is all pre-internet. So people were the, the highest levels of fandom talking to each other. I don't mean that in a snooty way. I mean, like people that cared about this stuff and thought there were 10 other people in the country that did. And so those 10 or 15 or 20 or 25 people were all talking to each other. It's like the world's most exclusive Facebook group. That's not even, not even blinded. It's like wide open public and only 10 people care about being there. Um, 
he was really good about researching things like that. And I'm sure he sat down or had his assistant or somebody go down and say, see if anybody's come up with a middle name for McCoy. And this was high status. And I mean, Jeff's thing was, um, you know, connected quasi. And they went, sounds good to me. But it's like, well, let's head. I almost, I can almost imagine this. Well, it's not just like, maybe there's a copyright thing out there floating around and Paramount wants to be able to say that, you know, we didn't steal it from this kid or whatever. So they say H, but in their heads, they know that it's Horatio. And in just in a one-to-one or two or three people talking, and D is one of them, obviously, Yeah, um, that comes up and he knows it. So that's, I mean, that's my, that's my headcanon for how it came out because people that, you know, official fandom goes, well, it's Leonard H and we've never had it officially on film, what it is. And, mo- and I would think, unless people have heard me rant about this, Seven eighths of fandom has no clue what H could even could even stand for, and I'm going. It's Horatio. It's Horatio. Before I asked, I was thinking Leonard Hatfield McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, maybe that was I don't know. But, you know, there's there's a devious side to all this. And back when the you think at the time of Star Trek two and three, there is the huge fandom, but like the the circle of people, there's no internet, there's no groups, there's no people are just still who's on the other end of my phone in Hollywood kind of a thing. And who do we, who do we trust, but also, you know, who's a safe circle and all this. And, and so much of the world is perceived to not care anyway. Right. The geeks haven't won yet. So um, I, I can, but I can totally see it evolving that way and, and just going, okay, we'll do this. And, and then it never came up to uh, you know, cool that I, under, I, I think the way the story is, it was like George that wanted to, um, on six wanted to have Sulu's first name mentioned on camera, you know, cause uh, um, uh, Uhura's never was until the Kelvin movies. And then, then it was a no brainer to say Nyota. So, you know, but you would think in the Kelvins that somebody could yell at McCoy and say, you know, Leonard Horatio McCoy, what the hell are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. You know, like a mom. It's been too long since I've seen you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or a mom voice. It's not something Spock would do unless there's, you know, something external. <laughs> yeah, something. So we solved that. Yay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny you bring up about how people would think maybe 10 people cared about Trek. Because I remember like growing up before internet and everything, you really didn't have, like my family wasn't in Trek. I didn't really have anybody at school at the time that was in a Trek. So it's kind of on an island. But now you've got the internet, podcasts, you've got all kinds of stuff. And it just, it blows up and creates this whole whole area where you can just go on and discuss with people different things. So it's really changed. Well, you said 10 people track. I'm, I'm obviously 10 people were watching track because all these local state, I mean, not that I read a lot about this, but you kind of had the idea that because of demand, they're talking about a movie and the, and, you know, I came in after the animated, but that whole bubbling up of demand. And I would hear about these, these conventions in New York and LA and I'm stuck in the middle of the country and oh my God, I'll never get to anything like that. But it's still cool to read about it when it would actually filter into mundane, you know, you'd get a paragraph in something somewhere, an AP story in your local paper would like, pull out one paragraph and run it, or it'd be a paragraph in TV guide. And that was, and that's the way things spread. That's if you, you know, unless you got to the point where you were in fandom and then now you're into somebody's newsletter or club thing and people who do go to conventions are spreading the news and or the rumors and gossip and you know and things start to circulate that way and that for me that was what interstat was was good for uh was a, it was a letter of commenting where people wrote like one or two page letters and they would like 
direct comments to each other's letters, there'd be a pair, you know, to Larry Nimichek, and there'd be like two or three things responding to something I'd said, but they'd also do that to 10 or 12 other people usually. And sometimes there'd be like huge arguments going back and forth, but it's like one letter a month that was all typed into a little, you know, photocopied half zine and sent out. But, um, but when I, what you said that about 10 people in Trek, I'm talking about like 10 people in the whole world who care about, you know, planets and stars and names and where they are and that thing, or 10 people in the whole country that care about seeing the rest of the Federation outside of the enterprise, yeah. you know, <laughs> kind of a thing. Which uh, kind of led us to, to do our first book club se- series around uh, the Vanguard series that uh, mm-hmm. uh, David Mack, Dayton Warden, Kevin Delmore wrote. Yeah, the whole thing of, I mean, that's why I love, one of the reasons I love Journey to Babel, it's like, I would say, look, it's actually the Federation. It's actually the other members. Look, Andorian Cellarites, it's, and all these other things that never got named. And like, it's like, I want to go, you got, you guys that love this show, you do know there's a whole universe beyond this little ship and these guys that you're watching. Like, you're only watching three, three, four, five, six, seven main guys and their ship running around. You know, there's a whole lot more out there than this. Especially in, in the ship itself, too. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, yeah, the rest of the ship. <laughs> but it's kind of like in the first way, and that's why Next Generation that blew open, you know, nobody at the time said, hmm, let's uh, blow open the paradigm of this entire experience and create a whole franchise where we can go to different, <laughs> you know, it's like they were just going, how do we do a new show without having the old guys? Because uh, we can't, because they'll never take a 16-hour day, eight days, a, you know. It's like, how do we practically get a younger being without having to I know, let's put it 80 years in the future <laughs> well exactly it's like how do we do more star trek without wearing out the old guys you know or insulting fans that's all that was going on nobody was sitting there going once we do this we've unlocked the key to a whole we can do movies we can do other series we can go back you know over the centuries we can go we'll a whole series set on chronos which didn't even have a name when they you know but it's like nobody that's just a happy that was the happy outcome. Anyway, I just remembered being intrigued by what's going on beyond this ship and just kind of laughing at, not laughing, but the people who like hung on every word of Spock or they hung on every word of Kirk and, or they nerded out about the ship and I did too, but it's like, what about the rest? Like, this is like, which is why the tech manual was so intriguing, even though it's all been superseded now, you know, oh, here's Starfleet command. Oh, here's the star bases. Oh, here's them. Here's maps. Here's star charts. And, you know, and that whole thing was a, that was the other thing that grabbed my attention was I was a astronomy buff and it was like, oh my God, they're using real stars. What if we overlay the fictional stuff onto the real stuff and extrapolate where everything, you know, this needs to be organized. This needs to be organized. Yeah. <laughs> which, which, yeah. And, and we're, what we're doing with, with our podcast too, is we've started to do a, a sort of a contemporary to the original series show, kind of doing a little fan fiction work up that way. Oh, awesome. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, we're supposed to be talking about McCoy, but um, uh, the, the th- this could be just be extra stuff at the end of the credits, you know. <laughs> um, no, the thing that I, I have this running joke with. Um, with somebody, oh, with Ali on my on our Saturday live show that we do called Life Support Live, that's mental health and Star Trek in, in a fun way. And but I talk about he said he loves he loves Bones too, but he says my favorite part is in Star Trek 09, where he finally talks about, you know, he he says my 
they mentioned the divorce finally. That's the thing I always wish something would finally mention McCoy being divorced. Right. And I remember watching 09 and being braced for all the changes, but it was okay because it was an alternate universe, right? Or an alternate timeline, alternate timeline. And um, and I remember that's that was a surprise. I wasn't expecting that for him to say, Oh, well, I just got through a divorce and my, you know, and I'm like, Yay, it's finally on film. All I got left are my bones. And then he says, Yeah, she really picked me, picked my bones clean. And I'm like, No, that's no, it's sawbones. <laughs> now they've done that to me. And then I read later on where where um where they they came up with that line. It wasn't scripted. They came up with that line in the moment because they thought it'd be clever. And I'm like, no, no, no. And and you know, Carl Urban should have known that being being a huge McCoy fan himself. <laughs> I I you know, well, it's not like he could be a fan, know the real origin and say, hey, uh, JJ, how about if Kirk looks at me and says, you know, they used to call Civil War doctors bones for saw bones. So I think I'm just going to call you bones for sure. I mean, that's that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's too clunky. But even if he did. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm so it's like it's just this like roller coaster moment where I went from, yes, they mentioned the divorce to, oh, no. And then after that, it's like my mind immediately went to it, this is this is an alternate timeline. It's all fake. None of this matters anyway. So <laughs> in this timeline, that's where it came from. It's perfect. It's yeah. Well, I wouldn't say it's perfect, but <laughs> well, yeah, it's but, like you know. I totally put it in that box, you know, and so all the Kelvin movies are like. Why get so exasperated over aside from the prime, the little sliver of prime at the beginning before the, you know, the Narada? It's like after that, it's like I have this one. It's like watching a Star Wars movie. It's like, okay, fine. Whatever, guys, whatever. <laughs> it's like not my thing. I'll sit back here and watch you all, you know, hash over it, <laughs> have fun. each other to pieces. Yeah. Over it. So it's like, okay, fine. It's it's a fake universe. So it's fine. Whatever they say is fine. <laughs> Well, I guess say it and probably one of those is one that we saw in, in parallels with Worf. Uh, well, yeah, well, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, so the divorce and and his daughter, Joanna, who was mentioned in the animateds and who we actually saw, they didn't do anything with her. But, you know, to start off with going to be a the original plot of the space hippies, Wade Eden was going to be his daughter coming in and all the, and Kirk puts a move on her. And all of a sudden McCoy is is the girl's dad, not his best friend. And. And Freiberger thought that that they were too close in age. That would that would make McCoy seem really old. And I'm like, we're just like stupid idea, stupid idea, stupid. Idea. So missed that, you know. And Dorothy Fontana, that would have been one of her shows. And she was so she was carrying. You think about the time she's like the original Spock person after Gene. Well, she's also carrying. You know, she did Journey to Babel, and she did uh, Friday's Child, among other things. And she's cares a lot about d and that would have been a mccoy show as originally done so anyway it's been it was good to talk to her uh before she passed about mccoy and her thoughts and you know what finally getting she she'd written a joanna show which turned into way to eden so anyway the and then they she got her into the animated series which was cute but again didn't really do anything with it but at least it got it into canon that he had a daughter yeah that's why i like the um i liked especially to boldly go of Star Trek continues because it really tied in a lot of things for the motion picture of where everybody went, especially Spock and Kirk and Kirk's burnt out and Spock's got the whole thing with McKenna and he's trying to get rid of that emotion. And they mentioned that Bones wants to go home and spend time with his daughter again. So it was just nice to get that mention of it in there. And he's not just left Starfleet because he's a curmudgeon and 
doesn't want to do it anymore. He's got some family he wants to be with. And and, and wants to be a wants to be a disco dancer. <laughs> <laughs> That's that was the yeah. I mean, I at the time the whole thing and I what's funny is I remember things from the time when I was a kid and I've gone back to try to find the roots of things and it's hard, but the whole the whole point was McCoy he didn't just like leave Starfleet. He went back, basically went back to the hills back home in Georgia. He he was translating the Fabrini medical uh, records, which had been like late in the series, as if they were going to go, you know, when they found that they were going to go, you know, they never did a fall. We almost did a fall. One of the stories that got pitched for continues. I love the way you guys just roll through continues like it's like it's canon. Yeah. But it's had an impact on a lot of people I know. But uh, one of the stories that got pitched a lot was going back and having them go back and find um, Natira and find um, Yonata when it got to its real planet that they'd found for it and having some, you know, drama around that. But revisit, because he said, we'll be there in a year or whatever. And it's like, eh, what, what? I don't know, at least one novel and probably a comic book or two have tackled that. But, um, but that basically when during the two years, two and a half years between the series and motion picture, McCoy's whole thing out of retirement and yeah he's all discoed up but he has the beard because he's basically become a hermit he's translating Fabrini medical knowledge while he's just being he's just working on and he's a veterinarian he's just he's totally away from people he's not caring about human patients he's translating and helping people with their animals in the hills like cut off and I remember hearing that and I've gone back to try to find the 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 Fabrini translation is a is a thing I see mentioned, but the whole thing about being a veterinarian, I've I'm been stumped about. I don't mean like going and like getting a shiny office and hanging a shingle and saying, I'm now a veterinarian. But it's kind of like uh, you know, he just said, I'm only gonna see people bring your animals by and I'll I'm not taking human patience. It's kind of, you know, like right. he'd been too ripped up and torn up. Uh he'd want the drama of patience if he's gonna be doing this. So he wants something simple and you know, patience that can't talk back and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's a, a lot of what the uh, with the Star Trek continues too. I, I Chris said this a while ago, and it kind of made sense. Like TOS is first three years, TA the animated series is year four. Star Trek continues. We look at it as year five of the five year mission, so they all kind of uh, working together. Yeah, I mean that was I mean definitely, especially the the wind up and the whole the whole thing about the ships and all and uh, the ships and what happened and why did everybody break up and go off the way they you know. Why did Kirk stay and get promoted and uh, and Spock and McCoy do what they were doing and and all of that? And I said, no, it was a really it was a really good, satisfying take. And, you know, until it's it's like I call it canon in a vacuum until there's a real world um, definitive time for that put on. And comics, comics, there's a comic series now called The Five Year Mission, and they're trying to wrap that up. They've also got uh, they also did a year four as well. So, yeah. So I don't know. It's the more it's. You know, 20 years ago, I would have said, well, 20 years ago, the whole paradigm of fan films would have been different. But I would have said that because there's over time, the different talk about pendulums, whoever's running the franchise and then whoever's given a license to whatever comic. But, you know, there have been 40 billion versions of a lot of things that and, and they're conflicted because people aren't keeping up. Now we're keeping records. And thank goodness for memory beta. And you can. If you want to survey, if you need your middle name for McCoy now, <laughs> you can go to one of those and survey. I mean, I did that for stellar cartography. I was trying to see what everybody was doing about the Vulcan system, like beyond Vulcan. And, you know, they they retconned the, the planet 
that you see Vulcan has no moon. Well, that's a sister planet. Oh, okay. I mean, that was like one of the oldest, oldest fixes. And a lot of the Vulcan fan fiction, you know, they went through all that and like, what's the emerging trends that, you know, so you're not, you're not pulling what Bill Rotzler did where you don't see, here's the established flow of fan fiction. I'm just going to throw my own thing in there just to, you know, gum up the works. Like why we had, We've all kind of, why don't you just make, you know, you and it's not even like attributed to one person. It just kind of, you're not even thinking like, oh, now if we do that, we'll have to pay somebody. <laughs> it's like, no, just don't worry about it. We will all collectively sign away our rights to Horatio. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, just do it. But anyway, it's it now you can do that. And so I was surveying around to see what people were doing. So the, the, um, what you see on the Vulcan system ancient map is kind of a collective look at it going out there and, and looking and i can't remember now why i got down this why i went down this path but um oh the comics so now you can see if they're you know, like in 50 years or 40 years there have been like four different you know separated by 10 years and people had no idea what had been done before because there's no internet and it's a different licensee and franchise and blah 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 and now we can survey at least and going forward people can be smarter about what they want to do and all that but um but yeah, that whole end of the five-year mission thing, just like the Romulan War. Can we please have the Romulan War on film please. sometimes so we don't have... Exactly. Can we please? I run uh, I run our... our uh, or I run Hollow Sweet Media's uh, Enterprise podcast as well. So that that's one thing that, that Kyle and I, my, my co-hosts, are, are, are begging for that. And just a, just a short track of Archer, maybe as, you know, president of the Coalition of Planets. Mm-hmm. The, the first president, yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, there's, yeah, there's a lot of things. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and it'll still be the case where game manuals of whatever generation get picked up, like, you know, they were using some of the FASA, face of FASA. I've go back and forth. Uh, tomato, tomatoes. <laughs> um, uh, you know, people pull, pull things out and it's like, I've, it's like reaching down and finding somebody in Des Moines and, throwing them in a movie and they're a sudden star. It's like reaching down for this one abstract thing of an Andorian fighting cleaver and I'm putting it into us. Now it's canon. Oh, it's a star. Yes. It's a star factoid <laughs> now. It's on screen. I'd never thought of that before. It's hysterical. Um, <laughs> the great bird of the galaxy just reached down and plucked up this obscure fans little bit from their fanzine story and or their little manual they did and you know in 30 years ago or yesterday and bang, it's on screen now. Uh, yeah. Anyway, and a lot of that, sadly, is is with McCoy, too. So it's like, I want to see his ex-wife. One, I remember early, 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 and there's probably been other ones, and I could go to Memory Beta and look it up. But I remember really early on, I, it was the Haldeman licensed novel when it was like, those were all hit and miss. And, his, and it talked about McCoy when he was married and, and his divorce, and that's why he went into Starfleet. But uh, talked about him and his wife not being happy and her name was Honey. And I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. But, you know, it's a thing that nobody goes, nobody talks about McCoy and his ex-wife or what happened to her or that it was a divorce. And anyway, all that. That would be interesting to get to at some point, but you're, you'd have to be doing a story set in kind of the mainstream, you know, the original series time. And so that's, yeah. unless somebody is, you know, somebody in some other era the way Jadzia and Cisco were talking, you know, she says, Oh, one of my Daxes, you know, Oh, he had the hands of a surgeon, you know, dated McCoy at Mississippi, which was interesting in itself. But unless you have that kind of a format where somebody's, you know, you got a Dax or somebody's just looking in records and 
and whatever, you know, who's going to be looking around from Leonard McCoy's ex-wife's <laughs> name and what happened to maybe, her? Maybe she's on one of the, the, the strange new worlds that they find. Uh, see, there can be, you know, you have a guy show up with his little with his teenage daughter and it's uh, it can only hope. See that. But that's the exciting thing about all these new shows. If you can get past the, you know, the visual changes, because um, they went oh, they didn't just take let's do the design and then update everything else about it. And it's like, no, let's do original designs. But anyway, that's a that's a that ship sailed. <laughs> quite literally. Yeah, yeah. That ship is warped. Quite literally. You had some I think you had some thoughts about um McCoy in the original movies there, Chris, didn't you? Um, I'm gonna say for me it was just really really how uh the the inter- the interplay was there between, you know, him and him and Spock, you know, they're at the end of, of Star Trek two, because if I remember correctly, Spock could have actually gone to, to uh, Scotty to put his Katra in, but he specifically chose bones just to screw. And, you know, maybe it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe it was like, like uh, McCoy said, you know, getting back at at him for all the arguments that they'd lost or that he'd lost. Um, But I think also it, it showed that, that Spock did have enough trust in McCoy to hold something that special. Well, it goes back to Mukhtar. You know, people who, that's the other thing about people that go, oh, McCoy was just this, you know, when you when people parody McCoy and they just have him standing around griping all the time. And it's like, well, that's not how I parody no. McCoy. <laughs> you know, but I've seen a lot of like professional parodies and comedians, you know, and all they do is they have, they have just like <laughs> wild-eyed, crazy McCoy, like just growling. You know, some of them, some of them have him just like spitting, you know, like, you know, like a dog, like that's like, that's not really a parody of McCoy. But um, um, going back to a muck time when he turned, people would say, oh, they're just arguing. They're just bantering. You know, I've even seen some of the modern fans go, boy, that they're bad. They're, them arguing all the time just gets old. That's just sad. Why can't they get along? And I'm like, you never had anybody that you like. You had to one up them on on puns, or you had to one up them on snark lines or memes, or you didn't. They're they're basically did. like like two brothers. Yeah, and and yes, but it's if nothing else, you have the moment when they're in the turbo lift going down to Vulcan in a muck time, and Spock turns around and says, "And I also request McCoy," and he says, "Well, I'd be honored." And he looks a little surprised, but not really. And it's like if you don't need anything else, there's that right there. And then yeah, flash forward to in the. Of course, it's McCoy who's in his face. It's like I've got to get in there right now. Hi, you're here. Bang, bang, neck pinch. <laughs> I have no, I have no time to explain. Bang, and and so Scotty's like right behind him. But I always want to think Scotty maybe is too full of technical, technical, technical things for the you know. And McCoy is the guy with the with more heart than brain. Not that he has a brain, <laughs> brain and brain. <laughs> but um, but yeah. Once again, it's like Spock trusting McCoy to here do something with this. <laughs> Yeah, and and one one of the things that I, I I really enjoyed in uh in in four was you know how how he's going at the uh the the doctor there in, in the surgery when they're trying to save Chekhov and you know it, it, yeah. introducing a little advanced technology to to help there yeah well a real throwback to city you know sewing them up with cat gut you know kind of a which I, again it's one of the great little bits of yeah of everybody everybody got a scene in four yeah and. And I also like really enjoyed there in, in undiscovered country where where they're they're working on the torpedo, which it is kind of curious that that you do have 
a doctor there instead of you know another en- or an engineer with your with your science there. But. Surger on a torpedo. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be honored. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. I remember I was not happy with six when it. In a lot of ways, I love the story of six and the parallel. You know, the current events. You know, the the wall coming down and and all of that. But I just. I was cringing again at, you know, like mashed potatoes. I, I knew we had a hobby kitchen on the Enterprise, you know, where people didn't have to get replicated food. They could go make, that was a thing. Whatever. Yeah, they could go make it by hand if that was their hobby. But it's like, okay, it's a hobby kitchen and there's alarms and there's phasers mounted in the <laughs> hobby kitchen and, you know, and the books on Uhura's console it's like, okay, I know there are relic books, but really it wasn't faster just to call up the Klingon language database. We're paging through. Anyway, there was, there was, I, I, I was like, can we just, can I just, I, my first thought about Star Trek six was I loved it, but can we just have this as a radio play and not have to see anything? That <laughs> was really my, that was my first anal fan thought about six was I love the story. Can we just have the story? <laughs> Yeah, and and for me, you know, I think that was a, that was a great way for them that 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 was a great story for for them to end on. Mm-hmm. You know, be, oh, be, yeah. being just the the main original series cast. Yeah. Well, ending on five would have been like ending on Turnabout Intruder. Yeah. It's all, and here's where our money ran out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can say, and and you know, even even though I I do do enjoy five, I think six was a much better ending. Although five has some of the best scenes with. Kirk, Spock, McCoy around the campfire. Oh, yeah. Love those. Hilarious. Uh, yeah, I do love them, but it's like they, I don't know. I just, I've never been as in love with those scenes as I think 98% of fandom <laughs> is. But then I'm weird in a lot of ways on, on things. I just, I just, to me, they always just felt like they were trying. Hmm. It's like, and here we're going to have the warm scene around the campfire where they all get to let their hair down and they even let get Spock to be a little, you know, misty eyed too. Okay, I just I I just the whole time I'm going. Shatner's directing. They're behind schedule. They're doing things without taking. There's there's some of McCoy's lines I wish they'd had another take on. It's like the series. It's like there's times when I go back and forth between because I see him acting. The other one I said the one the two my two favorite McCoy moments at least in the series are the cot scene with Edith, mm-hmm. and then his final scene and then his toe toe rise with the whole decker mccoy spock thing at the end spock do something you know and what you know that whole thing um and he leaves with the best go to hell mccoy glare ever anytime any place because it ha- it's like this is my last scene i gotta make this last you know i'm gonna stare daggers at you out the door um so it's like he could act but i think a lot of times he was very self-deprecating and very humble you know i'm just the, i'm just a western villain but um, I think a lot of times between Shatner, you know, taking lines and let's do one more, let's do one more. And then, and then Leonard with his gravitas. And I think everybody else, it was kind of like, okay, I don't think D would ever have stood up and said, can we do just one more for me? You know, I, or it's a master, it's a master shot without a close up. or, well, I was going to do masters of, you know, close ups of everybody in their moments, but this is going to have to, you watch a scene with like eight or 10 bodies in it. And it's like, well, maybe Shatner gets the close up cut away to emphasize something. And maybe Spock does too, but that's where it drops off. And very few times does it, you know, does, does swing all the way around, swing all the way around. Like I'm just thinking Friday's Charter and a piece of the action 
Um, you know, it's like, well, McCoy gets to say, who, me? Because they want a close-up of the baby blues to make the line fit. You know, like, but some other time, if he's in a group of two or three or four, it's, they're not, you know, so I just think a lot of times he could have, if he'd had a take where they could have punched into him or even an, another take on the master, he could have done something else besides, because sometimes the editing even feels odd. The scene we were just talking about a minute ago is, is uh, feels that way to me a lot that, that, um, Anyway, anyway, that's me being picky about. I used to say that, oh, you know what? Dean's got some awkward, uh, Dean's got some awkward gestures and, and, and deliveries that seem a little off, but I love him anyway, and I've got the scenes. I know he can do it. And then later on, I'm thinking, you know, I bet if he'd had the luxury of being the lead and being able to say, can we do one more? You know? Yeah. <clears throat> let's all go watch the, now it's like, let's all go off the monitor. Okay, now I'm going to adjust it. They were like, shoot, 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 go, 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 go doing a show in six days it's insane with funky lights yeah outdoors or whatever it kind of makes me think too that who else could you have had between those two actors um leonard and um and will bill shatner would it have worked if you didn't have somebody that was as humble as as d yeah well d is like the great i mean leonard was this way too but i was i like the way number one his work got him elevated and bob justin was able to a recognize it, and even more so, B get money for it. Yes, get 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 him above the above the yeah, line. get him bumped out front and get get yeah above the line and get residuals. But um, uh, it's just a testament to D to do that. But then he was always kind of on the he was always kind of the bridge. Leonard was this way too. It was more physically D, but D was so humble and quiet, and he and Carolyn would just like go back to their house and you know, be quiet and, and didn't Hollywood party eyes a lot and all that, but he's really kind of the bridge between the, the big two and the big, the big three, and then the little five. And he's kind of, and he, he could easily go back and forth, you know, but he's just at ease with, you know, Nichelle and George and Walter and, and Jimmy as he is with, he can go back and forth between those two worlds when those two worlds are a thing. And um, that was always, that's another reason why I always enjoyed, I always thought, I got to meet him a couple of times and and the la- the picture I have that I love from the 96th 30th anniversary con when I done an interview with him and and I pitched him doing his memoirs because he was the only one that hadn't done an autobiography yet and he kind of he was like oh now if I did that I'd have to go out the garage and go through all those boxes <laughs> you know and I'm like okay because I'm like I'm a professional writer let's work on this together and begin uh but I got I to help tell, you out to, yeah and then, thank goodness, he did. He did do the one with um, the the one later uh, with Terry Rio. But um, but he was passed. Carolyn kind of anointed Terry, and then Terry got to go through all the boxes in the garage and talk to family and everything. But um, uh, yeah, I did get one chance to say, you know, you were always my. Oh, I I said, okay, I can say this now. We're done. I've been a professional. You were always my favorite. McCoy was my favorite, and you were my favorite. The cast, and he looked at me. He goes, "Oh, fine. Where were you twenty years ago when I got a new and Leonard?" And and you know that 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 seems like some, something D would do, just kind of kind of seeing how how he was and hearing about it. that was well, yeah. He you know with a twinkle in his eye. But this that thing you say about I was laughing and you laughed about ten people. You, you, there's you think there are ten people in the country. I'm amazed. And since I did do McCoy for those first couple of continues it's kind of heightened it for people for the masses that see those shows now but because people talk to me and people come up oh mccoy was always my favorite and we were in the doing the show uh, half of the the college girls that were in our crews that were you know a lot of our help 
they when I was came in and I didn't know anybody save two or three people in the big the cast and the crew and they were like oh McCoy was my favorite and I'm like okay that's cool you you don't have to just tell me that right like <laughs> it's okay and they're like no no he was really my favorite and I felt just like D I was like oh fine where were you in Den but it's like there's this secret underground of McCoy is my favorite character from TOS. There's like a secret underground club of that. I guess I'll, I'll have to talk to my sister and see if she knows because uh, she she's a couple years younger than me. So uh, we were we were both raised on, on the original series, but she always liked like McCoy the best out of the. And, you know, and, and Dee had a fan club and I have uh, when I was very first, it was like those were kind of all going away when I was a kid. I was just coming into fandom, but I have. For a year or two, I paid dues to be in the DeForest Kelly Association of Fans, the DKAF. <laughs> uh, so I could say I was a card-carrying member of the D. Kelly thing. But uh, so I know that, like, you know, they were there, but it was always in the shadow of, of Shatner and Nimoy's and the, the character, you know, the, the pecking order of the character rank. But yeah. Yeah. And, and one one of the uh, the other touches that I really liked with uh, Carl Urban's performance was how he had the pinky ring. Mm -hmm. like like DeForest Kelly did during during the original series mm -hmm. which was a little ring Caroline you know they were supposed to be it's the same thing as like no pockets no pockets and Jimmy had a pocket for his cigarettes right <laughs> on his black pants <laughs> so you know all the all the rules and you know the no jewelry nothing to moderate to make it look contemporary well D always had his pinky ring that that pops up you can see certain times it's kind of like seeing Jimmy's missing finger you can see, you know, you can see D wearing his ring at times. And yeah. And then for Carl to do, well, yeah, Carl was, um, it's like, that's what was so bittersweet about that whole little, she picked my bones clean line. It was like, because uh, otherwise um, Carl was like, of all the cast, they were all wonderful. The only one was Simon Pegg as Scotty. I mean, I love Simon Pegg, but it was a little eh on the Scotty. Yeah. But everybody else was, was, awesome casting for who was available and, and, you know, fitting the role physically and what they did with it. But Carl's just, just, he, it's what I was trying to do and continues. I was so exhausted from working on cartography. I always felt tired, but just channeling McCoy without being a party impersonation, you know, without being an impersonation. And, and he just embodied the essence without it being a, a cop, just a caricature. And yeah, it was a great and and the continued the history of as it better have of um, of great McCoy lines and moments and uh, Stid really it's like they forgot half the characters even existed in service of I call Into Darkness Stid, um, <laughs> and then got back to that a lot with Beyond, which was hard, so disappointing that Beyond didn't do better in the box office. But oh well, uh, the whole time I'm like. They're going to get tired of this and these are going to go away and no one's really going to care in a few years except that they they'll they cared at the time. Maybe And a lot of people, that's what their entree to Star Trek was, is these movies. So we should always remember your first. But in the big picture, they're not going to really amount to much because they're not fleshing out this universe and timeline. So as, as well as they probably could could or should have. Well, you, you do a series, you could do a cartoon series, you could just make it matter. Otherwise, it's this weird stub that goes nowhere. You know, what are people emotionally invested in? Not this. Some some are, some are. I'm not dismissing people, right? But it's it's obviously not going anywhere. So, you know, anyway, anyway, guys, I should I should clear out. But you know, any chance I get to talk about McCoy, I I love 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 it. Leonard Horatio McCoy. Uh, yeah, I gotta say you're you're welcome back anytime to talk about anything else original series. So, 
or even continues. Well, as as Will Rogers once said, better not invite me because I'll I'll take you up on it. Okay. Oh, uh, I gotta say, yeah, we we we've got a couch too on the other side of our room, so <laughs> you can make yourself feel at home. <laughs> okay. Okay, guys. Well, thanks for having me on, and uh, yeah, just Th- thanks for being here. Yeah. Well, I and I would just say, you know, everybody, if you enjoyed this or whatever, my take on Trek or whatever, my website, I, I bet you'll probably put this up at learningmidcheck.com and everything Trekland and Trek Files on Tuesday with Roddenberry. And um, I do tr- Tuesdays Live on Tuesday at one on Facebook and YouTube. We multi stream uh, Trekland Tuesdays Live. And then Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, one Eastern and et cetera, is Life Support Live with Dr. Ali Matu. And Anyway, all the stuff happening, uh, more stuff coming up, and um, um, my open house. Any update on Connor Rapp? Uh, No, it's like you would think during the pandemic we would have all this time, and the pandemic demanded that I start like two or three new (laughs) things and refocus over here. No, we are going to get there. We are going to get there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's not going away. I spent too much time on it. I've got too many people, especially in Houston, that are staring me in the face. Going, How many more hurricanes do we have to endure before we get to see you? <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, but thanks for having me on, guys. Oh, thanks for coming. We really appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, Trek well. The Voyages, a Star Trek animated and Kelvin Timeline podcast is hosted and produced by Ali Black, Chris Hill, and Mike Burse, and is part of the Hall Suite Media Podcast Network. To keep up to date on all the news and updates from the Voyages, be sure to follow the Voyages 2S on Twitter and Facebook. You can find Allie Black on Twitter at Enzo underscore McAllen with two C's and two L's. Chris Hill is on Twitter at the Chris Hill, Chris with a K. And Mike Burse is on Twitter at Mike Burse 6. To join the Hollow Suite Media Community Discussion Group, simply type the Nexus into the Facebook search bar and we'll see you there. Thank you for listening. Live long and prosper. This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite media programs. Loading Holosuite preview program for The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast. And then the second mention, again, love letter to TNG, when Archer and Tripp are sharing their scotch. And then Archer says, well, here's to the next generation. And I was like, oh! Why are there so many nods in this episode for TNG fans like Amy to be like, oh my God, yeah, next year. Yeah. They had movies and everything. They just had a film three years before or two years before. And yet I'm here as an ent- Enterprise fan waiting for something. Right, <laughs> yeah. Give me, anything. Give me anything that makes me feel like, oh yeah, four years of Enterprise. Loading Suite preview program for There Are Four Questions, a Star Trek Spotlight podcast. I feel like they're starting to open it up to a lot of people. And I think that we need uh, like young people where, where the, where the future, like you're the future. You, you can dictate how you want to change the world. And if you feel like you want to be whatever you want to be, don't ever let anybody tell you that you can't because you can do whatever you want. You know, and I, I tell people that all the time. I'm like, don't give up because you never know what you can do until you do it. 
loading Holosuite preview program for Ladies Trek Library, women with a passion for Star Trek books. Diane Duane, as a female writer, had to put in, which I liked, having a, a female in command, you know, a Klingon, because um, we, we don't see that as much as the Klingons, with the Klingons. No, um, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the, the Klingon landing party, the head of the Klingon landing party was a woman. And in the original series, we didn't really, did we even see, I don't think we saw any female Klingons in charge at all. Um, and even in the next generation. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.